0: Good morning, Word of Life Church. Good morning. Uh, big, huge uh, good morning to everybody pointing us on our online campus. We're glad you're here. Wherever, whenever, whatever, whatever day or time you're listening, uh, we're just glad that you could be here and that we get to serve you. And um, we had a great time over at the New Pray campus. Everybody over there says, hey. Um, I don't know if you caught it on, uh, on our Instagram page, but um, Word of Life Church was over at the Business Expo yesterday. And the lesson that, that I learned was I needed to make at least twice as much coffee. We were like, we, we like ran out, at, you know, after two hours and then, and then we're all, all out. But we had a huge time just just connecting with people and inviting people and giving them a little more information. And uh, we've got some special announcements later on uh, in the service just to tell you about. But we're super excited about what God is doing because um, what God is doing is you. He's working in and through you. And, and, and you guys are inviting friends and neighbors to come and, and hear what God is doing. And so if you only hear this one thing, if you just zone out for the rest of the time that I am talking, if you only hear this one thing, it's our prayer that you hear that you are loved, that you're valued, and that you are forgiven, not because of what you've done, Actually, it's in spite of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's just such a huge privilege to get together and sing his praises and celebrate that he is Savior. And we're just blessed to be here. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I get to read to you from some scripture because we can't have Palm Sunday without hearing from God's word about the day that Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a little donkey. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Matthew 29, 21. If you, if you don't have them, you can just look right up here, reading in Jesus' name because it's God's word, not mine. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold... Your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." The whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. As we hear about the coming of our Savior into Jerusalem, we recognize that He's still coming into our lives today. He's here for you, He's here for me, because I'm a selfish little sinner. And I need help. And you are too. And you need help too. And that's, that's this wonderful message that our coming king comes in a completely different way. And, uh, and it's my privilege to introduce my friend, President Paul Larson, who's going to uh, bring God's word and talk to us about a different, a different kind of coming. And uh, so let's welcome President Paul Larson to Word of Life Church. <laughs> Thanks, Jay.
1: Good morning, Word of Life. I got to create some space up here. I'm not as skinny as your pastor, so don't want to knock anything over. It's really a, a, a privilege. I mean, we say that, but really, honestly, a privilege to be with you. It's been years since I've been uh, with Word of Life and on this campus, and uh, a lot has happened in your church since then. Such a such a great thing to be in New Prague uh, this morning, too, and, and know that that exists because of the responsiveness of this congregation and the sense of call, uh, of, of mission upon this congregation to make the sacrifices, uh, to uh, give up some comfort, to dream about the gospel coming in a way in another community. I just want to commend you for that. Our, our synod is not a high authoritative vision, my uh, uh, synod, my position. It's much more relational. Uh, than it is uh, authority, uh, but we follow the stories of our congregations and we care. And I want to assure you, uh, Word of Life, that your sister congregations out there are, are watching and praying and our hearts are with you as you step forward in mission, both in LeSueur and in New Prague. So way to go. Uh, very exciting. So great to be with you on, on uh, Palm Sunday uh, uh, today. And at the start of this week, we call the Holy Week, I want us to take a quick look at, at two men, at, at two guys. One of them we just heard about from Pastor Jay. We'll get to, to that man soon. But first I want you to take a look at this man, uh, a young man named Vitali Skakun. Uh, can, is there a picture ready to go up there? Or did we miss that one? They don't have. That. There he is. It's up. It's a pixelated uh, picture. Um, this is a young Ukrainian Marine uh, 25 years old. I caught his story uh, a year ago, toward the beginning of of the war. Maybe you saw the story too. caught Caught my attention. Um, he was stationed in the southern part of of Ukraine. His battalion was faced with a with kind of a rapid advancing column of Russian tanks coming up from Crimea. Uh, he and his battalion were charged with protecting not only their city, but really the whole nation of Ukraine, because there was a pinch point. There was an intersection called the Henichesk Bridge between the southern uh, Crimea region where the Russians uh, were and advancing, coming across. And so this strategic pinch point was the last barrier standing between the city and the nation and this invading army. The story is told that Vitaly, young Vitali, volunteered for a dangerous mission. Uh, it was solo. It was quiet, uh, camouflaged, undercover. He was to make his way to the bridge and to set the bridge with mines to blow it up, to block the path of the invading uh, army. So, man on a mission, undercover. Um, his, his normal sense of mission, as is, is you see him in uniform, This was going to be something different than what we'd anticipate. His goal was to reach a destination, this bridge, this pinch point, where if he was the one who could determine what happened there, it had all the meaning in the world because the enemy could be held back and his people could be saved. Does that story sound just a little bit familiar to us? Just a little bit. On Palm Sunday, we consider another man with kind of a similar mission, don't we? We see someone on, on Palm Sunday, we just heard Pastor Jay read the story of, of Jesus. Not everybody got what this man, this prophet from Galilee, this king, was about as he's coming toward Jerusalem. The the gospel writer Matthew remembers that this large crowd gathered. They spread their cloaks. They took off their jackets and their, you know, their winter parkas, whatever, and they spread it on the road, and like the kids, they waved their palm branches ahead of them and behind him, shouting. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And they were borrowing language from the Old Testament, but they didn't quite know, not most of them, what was packed into that idea of the King of Israel. They envisioned a political ruler, someone who would start a coup and free them from the occupying uh, uh, army of the, of the Romans. Uh, they envisioned someone who would come in with power and, and overthrow in the human sense of that. Blessed is the King of Israel. Um, we're told, and you heard the the verse, again, read that the city of Jerusalem sees this and says the city was stirred and asked the question, who is this? This is a week in the beginning of the holiest week of the year in which it's really important for us to ask the question, who is this? Even to allow our hearts to be stirred by dramatic story. Of sacrifice and mission. Who is this? Who is this Jesus, this man, this king? People didn't realize it. They wouldn't have guessed it at first look, but here also was a man on an undercover mission. His goal was to resolutely reach a great intersection, a pinch point, a bridge. In this case, not between, between Crimea and and the Ukraine but in this place a pinch point a bridge between a holy God and sinful humanity who had fallen separate from their creator God as a result of sin going all the way back to the Garden of Eden here was a a, a guy going solo undercover on his mission Resolute to, to reach this bridge, this, this place where if he could determine what happened at that pinch point, there the enemy could be turned back and his people could be saved. That's quite a story. You probably have already guessed that both Vitaly Skakun and Jesus of Nazareth's story ends kind of the same way in the human realm. The enemy tanks speed toward the bridge that Vitaly was, was mining. And as the story goes, he had the opportunity to make one quick call back to his brother-in-arms to assure them that he had set the mines, that there was not time to both set the fuse and to retreat to safety, but that he would complete his mission, but in that would not be rejoining his battalion. Vitaly gives his life to save the city. People on Palm Sunday think Jesus is going to stage a coup, set himself up in power. As I said, he's not. His mission is this bridge between God and man. People who are separated in this broken world. The cross of Good Friday is a reminder of that bridge, that pinch point, that intersection. Jesus is not out to start a rebellion. He's really out to solve it. The rebellion of people against their creator God. Jesus is not out to blow up a bridge, he's really out to build one between people, like you and me, and God. But the cost is the same for this man as Vitali. This king on a mission like Vitali, it would require the sacrifice of his life. Do you know that this Palm Sunday, word of life? Who is this? Jesus. This is his mission. You know, on Palm Sunday, I I think it's just a a really great time. It's an invitation into the Holy Week to ask these questions. Who is this Jesus? What's he doing to have our hearts be stirred? These questions are part of a a bigger puzzle as we look out at the world in our own lives. Like, what is God doing in this world, in this chaos, even in the struggle of our own lives? What's he up to? And as we ask that question and we look at this king and his mission, underneath that is probably even a more basic question, a necessary, critical, vital, it's a very honest question. I think every person has it if they will be true to themselves and say, this is, this is inside of me. And sometimes we're not apt to readily admit that every person underneath the question of questions is this one. What does King Jesus' Palm Sunday mission reveal? about the love of God for me. How great is the love of God for me? And maybe a second question within, within that is, how much do I need that love of God for me? So that first question, you know, I paused on Vitaly's story when I saw it a year ago, probably for two reasons. One, uh, and, and it, I guess it would get, capture your attention as well. It's just kind of a dramatic story, isn't it? A story of heroism sacrifice. I think subtle whenever we see something like that is we're kind of quietly in the back of our minds asking the question, would I do the same thing? Would I make the same sacrifice given that choice? The other reason it caught my attention is my wife B and I have a son. Ex- our middle son is exactly the same age. And so you look at a picture like that and you go, wow. And it made me think, what, what was Vitali's family? Was he married? Did he have a kid? Did his parents... No. Well, how, did, how, did, how did they respond? How did his dad respond when he heard about his son's sacrifice? Was he proud? He certainly was grieved. Was he angry? Was he anguished? Was he vengeful? And then I thought, and we don't know that this happened, but I just thought, what if Vitaly would have been able to make a second phone call in addition to calling back to His battalion, what if he had called his dad and said, Dad, this is what I'm facing. What should I do? Would his father have supported his son's decision to give his life in exchange for the safety and the life of his nation? Would his dad have said, Yeah, son, not only do I support this decision, but I desire you to do this? for you to give your life. And as a dad of a 25-year-old, I thought, could I ever make that decision? Could I ever care enough about my nation, my people, to will my son to die for that purpose? It made me ask the question, what kind of a father would ever will his son to die? It brought me back to the book of Genesis where we see Abraham commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac. And that's a, that's a horrible story to read. We're just kind of wrestling, almost angry with God. What kind of a God would re- require this? Not realizing in this test that God is not just testing Abraham, if you know the story, to give his son Isaac. He is also kind of feeling and telling his own story what's actually going to happen without substitution for his son a couple thousand years later. What kind of a dad could ever want that? There's an Old Testament prophecy that when we as as people today consider how much does God love us, that we've got to look at. In Isaiah chapter 53 is a passage it's referred to as the suffering servant prophecy. The the prophet Isaiah 800 years before Jesus was, was born gave this picture of what the suffering of the Son of God would be as he dies for the sin, sins of the world. And when you read it with our New Testament eyes, there's no question what Isaiah is talking about in terms of the Son of God, what his death was going to be like on the cross. It says in Isaiah 53:4, Surely he took up our pain, he bore our suffering, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. We know that's talking about the Messiah, right? And his sacrifice. But then a few verses later come these jarring words and I don't know we know quite what to do with them but these are a measurement of the love of God the Father for you and for me when we read yet it was the Lord's will. It was the Father God's will to crush Him, His Son and to cause Him to suffer. You know I've thought if you're looking for a reason to disbelieve the whole sum of Christianity, if you're looking for a reason to disbelieve the Bible or story of creation or incarnation or Calvary, the cross, or the resurrection or, or, or heaven, maybe it could come down to this, that we just look at this story and say, nah, I don't think that is possible that a father could will his son to suffer like that and die. It's a hard pill to swallow. And yet it is a measurement. How much does God love us? Enough to sacrifice his son for our salvation. You know, how we how we understand this also includes a little potential misperception that I'd like to talk to you about. I don't know if this will resonate with you. It's something my mind is stirred on when I thought about the love of God, the Father, to, to give his son out of love for us. And here's the misperception that can come with it. And, and maybe you've heard this bef- before, but it's kind of the idea that the that the Father's love in sending His Son somehow means that God the Father loves us more than He loves His Son. Like, there's a little competition going on for our Father's love, and, and you know, does He... Uh you know, he looks on us and he sees a certain lovability. And I don't know many of you. I know a few of you. It's like each of you has a lovability quotient. When God looks on you, it's kind of like, oh, you know, you're a nice person. You've got a, a lovability quotient of 85. You haven't done a lot wrong or you're a little kid and and, and uh, you haven't done too much wrong. Pastor Jay has got a little lower number because he's been around longer. I think first service, he said, might even be a negative number or something like that. We got to compensate for some, some people, but there's it's this some lovability, this worthiness in humanity. that when God the Father looks at that some lovability worthiness and he looks at his love for his son, the scales kind of tip. is like, yep, I'll, I will trade that one for, for this one. Can I tell you, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. Maybe you've heard the line, a preacher like myself, I'm sure I've said it and there's truth in it, but we even get down to saying, you know, God loves you so much that if you were the only person left in the world, Have you heard this? God would send his son Jesus to die for you. I think that that's true, but not true in the misperception that it means God somehow sees something in one person, in me, in you, to love that would make him, that would tip the scales above how he loves his son. It's not like that. It's not like that. People, the love of God for you is great, but it is not based on something inherently that God measures in you. The love of God for you is great and so sure because of something God finds residing in himself. And you know something? Can I say, that is a marvelous place to rest. That I can wake up each day and look in the mirror and know the absolute amazing love of God the Father that would give his son and not have to wonder whether or not I am worth it or my performance has merited it. God does not look for a reason to love you for something in you. He loves you because of something that resides in himself, and there we can rest. What a great place to be. Know that, people, word of life. Scripture says in Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. It does not say, while we were still behaving nicely while we were still qualifying, while we were better than average, while we were better than the other churches down the road or unchurched. It doesn't say that. He says God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still what? Sinning, sinners. While we were still misbehaving, while we were still warring, while we were still rebelling, while we were still hating and taking and deceiving and abusing and adultering and betraying and denying while we were still sinning. God the Father, because of something that resides in Him, because a love for you that resides in Him, made the choice to send His Son, was a Father who sent His Son to die. Word of life, is that not good news on this Palm Sunday as you look at this King Jesus? Is that measure of God's love not something that your neighbor Next to you needs to know somehow, some way. So there's another question that goes along uh, with this. Palm Sunday begs us to look at King Jesus and say, Do we understand his mission to go to that bridge, not to blow it up, but to build it? Palm Sunday asks us to look at this love of God the Father that made him willing to give his Son. But then it also asks a little subtle question. like, it doesn't just ask us to say, how much does God love us? It asks us to ask the question, how much do we need that love? How much do we need that love? You know, and we, you know, you're church people, some of you for longer, some for lesser time. But there's a general signing off on, hey, we're all sinners. We've all done some wrong. Maybe some think it's a little bit. Some bit. It's, it's not little or big. It's just category, just sinner or not. Okay, we're in this category. And I think we can kind of blithely go past that and say, yep, I need, you know, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. All God's creatures are sinners. And yep, we need. But how much do we need the love of God in Christ to forgive us? I had a little reminder of that for myself uh, uh, lately. This isn't a very exegetical exploration of Scripture. It's just a story that relates to scriptural truth. Um, my wife, uh, Abby, and I um, like to go to a little par- paradise called Hawaii, uh, specifically the island of Kauai we call we refer to it as our holy land because we've actually you know I've been a pastor for 35 years I've never been to the literal holy land we just keep going back to Kauai because there we experience God and I relax and it's our it's our holy land I know that sounds a little odd coming from pastor president whatever but we keep whenever we save up enough nickels we go back there how many of you ever been to Kauai can i see okay see a few hands do you know about then you know about the Kauai roosters the chickens right You can buy shirts that have Kauai, these colorful roosters. Roosters, feral chickens, have invaded the island of Kauai. Back with two, uh, uh, Hurricane Iwa in the 80s, Hurricane Aniki in the 90s, blew apart the islands, this jungle tropical island. Chicken farms, chicken coops blew up. Chickens were released in the wild. There's no way you're going to regather them in that jungle. They have no natural predators, and they have Taken over the island, there are chickens everywhere—feral chickens running around uh, a, a Kauai. Beautiful roosters; they just—they're—they're they're there forever, I, I, I think. And that means that every morning, and every evening, as a matter of fact, even in the dark hours, like four in the morning, before first dawn of light comes, and every dusk, and not quite as the sun is setting, but a. Season before, a couple hours before, every dusk and every dawn you hear roosters. And it's like they're in competition to be the first one to announce the beginning of day and the end of day. And if you're going to go there, you just have to put up with that. Well, anyways, here's, well, how does this apply? Anyways, uh, uh, last year, I was there on a working vacation. I had some big writing projects to do. Being and a couple of our adult kids were, were along. And there had to be days where I just decided, you know, you guys go out and play. Go have your fish tacos. Go walk the beach. Go have shave ice. But I'm going to sit here and work on this writing project. And I like to write, but I hate to pull it together. I procrastinate a lot with a writing project. And I thought, I'm going to give up this whole day. Go out and play. I'm going to finish this and when you come back, I'm going to be proud and say, Dad finished his project. I'm able to vacate, you know, with the family. I'm I'm dad dad's on vacation. So they go and I am wasting my work day. I am like pulling teeth trying to get this project done. I'm typing away and then I'm distracted. I'm looking out at the ocean and I'm typing like this. And I think my family's out having fish tacos, so I wander down to the market and have a fish taco. And you know, I'm typing away and I'm thinking about shave ice and I, you know, I can't confirm whether or not I might have broken away from my project about a half a dozen times to go sit in the pool hot tub and have my own shave ice, and I'm making slow progress. Lunch comes around afternoon. I'm still working on this. I'm gaining some energy. I'm thinking I might just get done with this before me and the kids get back, and I don't want them to come back and feel like a failure that I've withered away and wasted a day, and I'm working away and thinking I'm getting to the finish line, and I'm out on the lanai, and you know what's going to happen here, right? It's getting mid-afternoon, later afternoon, and I'm working, and I'm looking at my, my phone because I can tell where my daughter is, and, like, they're coming back, and I'm going to I'm get this, and all of a sudden, right underneath my lanai, I'm sitting on the balcony, this rooster erupts, just cock-a-doodle-doo. And I was so mad. Not because it just startled me, because it was a reminder that the end of the day had come and I wasn't going to finish my project and I was going to have to kind of bear the shame of, of failing that day and I couldn't kind of pull out of the tailspin and at that time, my mind went to Peter, the Apostle Peter, around a dark, around a campfire in the dark on Monday, Thursday when he had denied his Savior three times And his friend, his rabbi Jesus, had predicted that at that third denial of Peter for him, that a rooster would crow. And I'm picturing Peter there in the garden, in the dark, thinking, I have failed so badly. But I'm going to fix this. I'm going to remedy this. I'm going to pull myself out of this situation. I'm going to improve my behavior. I'm going to turn over relief. I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going to do something heroic. I'm going to rescue Jesus. I'm going to whatever. I'm going to undo this problem that I have created. And then the rooster crows and basically announces the deadline has come, Peter, and Jesus is staring you in the eyeballs. And you have to come to the admission that you cannot fix this mess that you've created. I don't know that I'll ever hear a rooster crow the same way again. And on my lanai, I actually, not because I didn't finish my writing project, because I knew that I was just the same as Peter, I wept there thinking, I have got myself in a sin problem issue that I can't correct myself and solve myself and I need a savior. I don't know that I'll ever hear a rooster crow again in my life, except I think that is a reminder that God has given me. As a matter of fact, I told my daughter, Gracia, taken to the airport about this whole thing. I confess the shave ice and the fish tacos and all that. And I said, I think I got a, a sermon brewing in me that I'm going to name, the rooster always crows. And, it, and it's just a reminder that this love of God for me is also matched by my need of this love because I can't fix the mess that I have created. And I need a savior and I suspect very much you do too, that the rooster always crows in your life as well, that your best intentions to repair the mistakes that you've done are not gonna be enough to solve it and to absolve you. And you need the love of God as much as I do. The rooster always crows. Well, let me land this plane uh, uh, here in, in this way. Um, we see on Palm Sunday a king coming into Jerusalem. He's really a man on a mission undercover to go to the bridge, not to blow it up, but to build it. He's going to this pinch point, not to start a rebellion, but really to solve one. The cost for the king going to this place, a place called Calvary, this this cross, the measure of God the Father's love in sending him, the measure of our need for that love and forgiveness is going to require the sacrifice of his life. I think it's interesting in the last week of Jesus' life, it's kind of the drama of the Passion Week, of Holy Week, is set out in images of light and darkness. Have you noticed that? Think about that story. When Jesus came into the world, remember he came and he said, I'm the light of the world. We sing glory stream from heaven above. And yet we get to this week and the light of the world when he's arrested on on, Palm Sunday, on Monday, Thursday, as the authorities come to arrest him in Luke 22, Jesus actually says to them, This is your hour when darkness reigns. And he wasn't talking about a literal hour. He was talking about a short period of time when the light would disappear and darkness would reign around Good Friday. You remember when Jesus hung on the cross, how intensely he misses his father. The, the union has been separated from an eternal closeness to now distance as Jesus bears all of the weight of sin on his shoulders. And he cries out to his dad a couple of times. And it's represented in darkness and light. Do you remember what happens in the third hour at noon? Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. on Good Friday. Do you remember what happens at noon in this kind of drama of darkness and light? You remember? Things went dark, went absolutely dark at noon. As a matter of fact, the gospel writers all can confirm it. Uh, It says in Mark 15: at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for three hours, this short little time. It's just dark. Matthew 27, 45 says the same. I I love it how in Luke chapter 23, even more dramatically, it says it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And then there's a little statement that comes after it. I don't know if you remember what it says, but it's almost like Luke the gospel writer anticipates in our time. We'd have people who'd hear that story and say like, yeah... But you know what? That was probably just like a harmattan dust cloud. And it just kind of got dim for a few hours because, you know, a storm blew up. Or some are going to say, you know what? That was an eclipse of the sun. It, it got dark, but it was, it was a natural phenomenon. It's like Luke anticipates that. He said, no, that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. He said, it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Do you know why? It says, for the sun stopped Shining. The gospel writer Luke just says the sun went off. Representing that the sinful weight of all time and all humanity resting on the Son of God had created this distance, this separation. And this Jesus who knew the rejection of His followers and the rejection of the soldiers and the rejection of nation and And religion also now knew the rejection of his father and the sun actually stopped shining from noon on Good Friday until three. But at three o'clock, Jesus dies. And the penalty is paid. And the greatest manifestation of the love of God for you and me has been proven by his sacrifice. And the greatest expression of our need for that love has been shown in that sacrifice. And at 3 o'clock when Jesus dies, it's been dark for three hours when that love has been shown and given. What happens at 301 that we never think about? God flips the switch back on. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there at that time? We're told when, when the love of the Father in sending His Son and our need for that love was accomplished with Jesus' death, that the veil of the temple split in two. It's like the, the, the bridge is built. We have access to a holy God. We're told that dead people rose up and started to walk around and, and appearing. And we're also told that this short little hour of darkness, in which the pain of a father giving up his son, And the rejection and isolation that the son felt from his father for the first time in eternity. That this hour of darkness had reigned for just a short time. And at 301, and since that time we live in this, God flipped the light switch on. Do you know the truth of this story in your life, Word of Life? Do you know it personally? Do you know who this king is, this Jesus, as he comes on Palm Sunday to you? He's not just coming to set up an earthly kingdom. He's not coming for power. Throw. He's not coming to start a rebellion. He's coming to solve one. He's not coming to blow up a bridge. He's coming to build one between God and you. And you have an invitation this Palm Sunday to receive this king by faith and to know this love of the Father and your great need for it expressed in Christ Jesus. Amen.